I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the Boston DraftKings studios. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% in your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show for everybody, as always. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. And check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, a bunch of other places and more coming soon because you can't escape us. Yo soy inevitable. Uh, got some good guests for you guys today. Ryan Klesko going to join us here, former major leaguer and World Series champion with the Braves, which, ooh. oh boy. And uh, Josh Palmer, uh, current wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers. But I'm not going to call the San Good Diego job. Chargers well because I am an adult here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Dad, uh, it is Friday the 13th, so uh, happy 13th day to everyone here. A little bit of spooky season, but also the preferred number of our Lord and Savior, Taylor Swift, oh, who boy. last night made her triumphant return to the NFL scene, baby. What a time. I took so much pleasure, Dad, in knowing how much it was going to bother Al Michaels that they had to cut away during Thursday Night Football to show Taylor Swift up in the booth with Donna Kelsey, her old friend. She got to meet Ed Kelsey last night. You got hugs from Brittany Mahomes during a game that was an absolute offensive slog. And all the while, I knew Al Michaels was ready to disintegrate at any given moment, having to focus on this any more than he wanted to. Yeah, Al Michaels actually talked about it before, not before, right before the game, but before this game, saying that he was they weren't going to make the sideshow the show, meaning the Taylor Swift sideshow, obviously, the show. I, I'm... I'm blown away by, you know, we, we talk about both sides of this, the Swifty sides and the NFL fans. I'm blown away from the NF, NFL side and people within the NFL, like Al, that, that, have, that feel the need to speak up about this. I, it, 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 it's crazy to me. Who cares how many times they go to the booth? You're not missing a single football play. Nope. And for the and for the most part, they're 99% of the time they're talking about the game. So what if they show Taylor Swift talking to Ed? Great, cool deal. Who so I it blo- I, I don't understand why it affects football people so much. Cuz it's not they're starting anything you're I don't get it. They're starting to make it like part of their personality. Like, ugh, the tail. Like, okay, we yeah. get it. It's, it's, you're lame. You've outed yourself. Just like, we hear you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because this is the first time we've ever showed famous people during yeah. the body of a football game who have been going there. She just happens to be currently one of the most famous at a time where she is thriving and controlling the rest of the world. So it was ridiculous, but thankfully cooler heads prevailed. Yeah. I did enjoy late in the game. Al Michaels had her up on the screen and referred to her as Travis Kelsey's good buddy. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> a day after the premiere of her worldwide release of the concert movie after the biggest tour in North American music, I don't know if she's coming to the football game for her good buddy, Travis Kelsey, but <laughs> I digress. Uh, Dad, Travis Kelsey was one of the few redeeming points of the offense last night for the Kansas City Chiefs, who get a win 19-8 to against the Broncos on Thursday night football, 
But man, this thing was a chore. You had a Styles make fights battle for the ages that ultimately ends with it almost felt like dad, the Broncos infected the chiefs with some of their conservative mindset on offense. Cause the Broncos just refused to swing for the fences in this game. Yeah. And that's why they ultimately ended up with eight points that, and a bunch of really bad turnovers. But overall, this is an incredibly forgettable game for Kansas city. That still hasn't played their best offensive outing, but there's a lot from the defensive side for the chiefs to certainly feel good about, even against the Broncos team that we know is not fully operational on that side of the ball. Yeah, but it's been the Broncos defense. We've really had right. The issue with, right. I mean, they, they were the ones that, yeah. that have been struggling here and they, they played an incredible bend, but don't break defense last night. I mean, they, they really did holding Kansas city to four field goals, Kansas city getting in the red zone time after time after time and can't put the ball in the end zone, they were lied in this game on obviously Travis Kelsey, but the top two receivers were were what they were Kelsey and Pacheco, so they still need that wide receiver they're going to touch. Trust is it, maybe it's going to be Rasheed Rice. It might be that rookie. We'll see. But right now, I mean, it's it's short passes to Kelsey, short passes to Pacheco, uh, control the ball, let those guys get some yards after the catch. But they really haven't gotten that wide receiver involved. And I'm not really as concerned about this game. I'm concerned with the top teams in the AFC when they're looking, you know, to go back to the Super Bowl and and get a back-to-backer here where they're going to need some help from the wide receivers. It's going to be tough to kind of dink it and dunk it. I mean, he ends up with over 300 yards, but not not a lot of pushing the ball downfield in this one. It is the weirdest 300 yards ever. Like you got this stat that went viral last night from next gen stats. Travis Kelsey caught seven of his nine catches on hitch routes. Yeah. Tied yeah. for the most receptions on hitches in a game since 2018. He has five more receptions on hitches than any other players this season. And you look, he had 124 yards last yep. night. He had a great game in front of his girlfriend. They had over 300 yards of offense, but dad, to your point, the red zone struggles. And that was by design. This Broncos defense, give him a ton of credit realized, Hey, we can sit back and play zone because there's not really a receiver here that we've got to be overly afraid of. We'll keep everything in front of us, and then we'll stack the box and we'll try right. and muck up the middle against this run game for the Kansas City Chiefs that we thought was going to be the thing they leaned on early in this game, looked like where they went. But the Broncos added bodies up front. They put five guys along the line of scrimmage, and they said, you're not going to beat us this way. And so it had to be that death by a thousand cuts offense for them. On the other side, Dad, the Kansas City Chiefs defense went polar oppo. It was the usual that we've seen from them. Hey, we're going to blitz the hell out of you. We're going to play man-to-man on the back, and none of these Broncos wide receivers no. could get anywhere near resembling open for the majority of the night. And Russell Wilson, Dad, just looked wholly unwilling to take chances down the field with this team. You saw in the second half of this game, Russ was much more confident taking off going down the field, finished four for 31 on the ground as a rusher himself than he was putting the ball in harm's way going down the field probably in large part due to the fact that he had two tipped interceptions this game and they had a fumble ball security, a huge issue for the Broncos. Yeah. It doesn't help when your team is not that good and you have ball security issues. That certainly adds to it. I mean, we talked about this before the game that we didn't think the offense was solely the problem, but it's not, it's not a heavy hitting offense by any stretch of the imagination, but the defense worst in total yards, worst against the run. They were giving up 187 yards uh, against a run. They only gave up 96 last night, uh, but how how do you play the Chiefs? Remember a couple of years ago, it was that everybody started playing too deep and not letting Mahomes go deep on them. Right now, they don't have that receiver, you know. So they play. They're just what you said. They're playing up a little more. They're they're able to stop the run or or get the run stopped against them a little bit, and they have to throw out those quick passes, get rid of the ball, and let your guys get yards after the catch. So they need an outside threat to go where they want to go. It's going to be tough to do it this way and get back to the Super Bowl or get deep in the playoffs and not be that big ball striking team. Uh, like I said, we'll see if Rice turns out to be that guy. Uh, he was a third leading receiver last night and did average 18 yards a catch. So he's a guy that can get down the field. It just sure. hasn't been at a, at a high rate. Let me ask you a question, Dad, because I was thinking about this last night. I saw David Hellman does a great job over at Fox he tweeted something to this effect. And we talked about this with the Dallas Cowboys the other day, where after the loss to the 49ers in the way that they had lost, knowing that that was a measuring stick game, knowing the 49ers have sent them home the last two postseasons, 
what was it going to take for you to believe in the Cowboys in any meaningful way again? I'll go shoe on the other foot here because this was David's sentiment, which was what would the Chiefs have to do for you to not favor them in the postseason this year? Like with all of the built-up goodwill they have with how we know they tend to figure out the offense as the year goes along, because this is nothing new. The Chiefs winning close, the Chiefs being a nightmare against the spread for teams during the regular season, workshopping offense that this last year had to deal with Tyreek Hill's departure for the first time and the adjustment like you mentioned. And still we get all the way through and they're in the Super Bowl and they're winning the Super Bowl and coming into this season again, the defense has played well. They're somehow in this this record with the one loss, the one lone blemish, despite not really having an explosive offense to speak of, what would it actually take for you to not favor the Chiefs or not believe in the Chiefs when it came time for the postseason? Continued struggles in the red zone and getting three instead of seven. That would that would give me some pause um, as far as, as scoring because you have teams, you know, that can obviously score, right? I mean, t- like, like Miami. Like Buffalo, like teams, you know, looking at Miami, they're averaging 36. I know 70 helped them in that one. The Bills are third in scoring. I'm just looking at AFC teams, both those teams over 30. The next AFC teams that that shows up is the Chargers at 27. But really those top two, because that's what we're talking about. The top of the AFC where Miami is, where Buffalo is. Will Cincinnati get there? We'll see. But they have the ability to score a lot of points because that was always a thing with the Chiefs, that they could score points. They could score on you quickly. They could hit you big, and they hit you with touchdowns. I psyched there was one touchdown and four field goals against a defense that isn't very good. So it's a style, and it's a way that you play them. Like I said, you tried to stop the big play by playing back with two safeties against Pat a year or two ago. And now, if you don't have that heavy hitter, you play it up. A little bit more and if they can't get the running game going and they're settling for three instead of seven that would be a concern for me if 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 we see a pattern of that with a lot of season left to go I'm not gonna lie it'd be really hard for me at this point I have so much trust that they'll just figure it out because that's what they've done it's sort of become what Nick Saban has been in college sports what Belichick was in the NFL for so long they're at the benefit of the doubt stage where I look at this and go all right it's early in the season they're figuring out a bunch of young receivers new personnel they're gonna get this right tackle situation was a little worrisome last night Donovan Smith had a real struggle out the left tackle a few penalties a little bit leaky for him and Juwan Taylor we know how good the interior is so You've got that circled, certainly, as a potential problem there because part of the reason you can't go deep downfield is also, at times, that was preventative. The Broncos were rushing four and getting a decent amount of pressure. All those things I could see are real football reasons. But for me, mentally, at this point, it is the Chiefs lodged in my brain as the team I will continue to pick at the Super Bowl until further notice, until one of these teams shows me they're actually going to be able to step up in a big moment and get over on the team that's been the standard in the NFL Dan, on the other side for the Broncos, I thought this was interesting. Steve Smith, before the game, had an interaction that's kind of emblematic of where the Broncos are at right now. The former NFL wide receiver working for the NFL Network had this to say on the field before the game about an interaction that he had with Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy pregame. The word that I've used uh, to describe him in the past was a jack, just a guy. And so when I saw him, he's playing well. I wanted to say to him face-to-face, like, hey, I know I said some things in the past I probably shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. That's what I wanted to say to him. His response, Mike Rob and Bucky, was ninja. Ninja? Yes, I'm using the word ninja. That's, I'm just using the word ninja. I don't mess with you. And it was, a, it was a curse word. And so I was like, all right, and then he repeated it. So I'll say it again. I'm sorry that I said you were a jag, just a guy who's an average wide receiver that use a first-round pick on that isn't doing anything. I hope today that you actually show up in a way that you haven't showed up in the last couple of years since they drafted you. So if you ever got a problem with Agent 89, I'm sorry for saying that you're an average wide receiver that they eventually will move on. And when teams call me and asking, should they trade for you? I will say no, don't trade for Jerry Judy because he's mentally unable to handle constructive criticism from people who watch specifically, can he be a wide receiver? He could be a wide receiver. He's a tier three. Go back into the studio. I'm done now. Thank you. Take off the mic. I very rarely seen someone take off the mic pack after a rant like that. 
I'll say this. Jerry Judy doesn't have to like Steve Smith, doesn't have to respect Steve Smith, doesn't have to do any of that stuff. And we see with a lot of current players now, I think more than ever, especially with players of platforms, there's a little more animosity or a little bit more willingness to be candid about how they feel of former players talking about them, some of the old heads and stuff. You've seen guys be a lot more critical of that currently than anything else. But, Dad, I will say this. On the night where you're going to choose that as your mode of operation for Jerry Judy – Having three catches for 14 yards ain't the output on the back end that's going to really help your cause. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is, listen, I don't know how – we know Steve Smith can be pretty harsh in his criticism. And I I don't know how we put it in his podcast. But we've been talking about this, going back to the Rodney Harrison interview with Chris Jones of calling Zach Wilson hot garbage. I don't don't know that we – Steve Smith said what he said there, but how did he say it in the podcast? And you know what? I, like I said, he he has a way of saying things pretty harshly. And did he do that on the podcast? And you know what? If he did, there's there's breaking down a player and then there's going too far. And again, I don't know on the podcast if he did. We all saw what Rodney Harrison did. And we all, as, as current and former players, most had an issue with yeah. going about it that way. So if he went harder on it in his podcast, and I don't, I don't mind a player if he wants to clap back on him, you know, and, and, and not dig it. it. It a lot, it's all in the delivery, and so I'm not taking a side on this because I don't know the delivery of Steve Smith in the podcast. But I've been on Steve Smith's podcast, and and he he'll air it out pretty well, you know. He's a he's a, he was a great receiver, and he's a guy that's going to give his opinion. And does it cross the line sometimes? But today, I don't even know what crossing the line is anymore when you get personal with someone or what you talk about. But I would need to hear that before I sit there and clap on Jerry Judy for for not going, oh, sir, you had a criticism of me. Please tell me how I can get better. I mean, you know, I'm not waiting for that one either. No, and that's the thing. I, I don't really fault Judy's response in this. If it truly was him saying he was just a guy and calling him a jag, because I understand people are kind of extrapolating the word jag. Like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't have to be that serious. Like, no, if he's somebody, no, no, no. but if the response is, hey, he was just a dude out here being honest in that assessment here. Steve Smith also is a guy who, you know, courts the smoke. Steve Smith yeah. isn't, afraid, isn't afraid to run to the fight. No. So what he says no. he means yes. and he is not afraid to stand on clearly, as we saw here, which is another factor in all of this. But I, I did. I just think overall, it's kind of emblematic of where the Broncos are, which is the conversation you heard wrapped around this game on the a coverage on Prime was, hey, are the Broncos going to start selling off more parts soon? You had Randy Gregory on the chopping block there. They right. were talking about Frank Clark potentially coming up here, the former chief. And then you look at these wide receivers because, Dad, it wasn't that long ago before Russell Wilson got to the Denver Broncos. We looked at that, and part of that is injury, right? Because back in the day, it was – Hamler, it was Cortland Sutton, it was a guy like Jerry Judy where we looked and said, man, this Broncos offense is just right. one quarterback away from unlocking this. And now we look almost everywhere on that offense. The offensive line struggled in certain portions of last night and has for the beginning of this season. You got Javante Williams back at running back, which was nice, a big physical runner. You hope is healthy long enough to put an impact on these games. But at wide receiver, that group that we used to wax poetic so much about really was not able to do anything for them. And it does make you wonder, will they start to sell off more parts soon? Is this going to look like a teardown job in the middle of the season? We know, and as they've said, and as we've said, tanking is really hard, but at the very least, you're going to try and get something out of a season asset-wise that looks like football-wise, it's off the rails already. Well, so what's what's going to happen is this is obviously Sean Payton's first year. Sean Payton's not going anywhere, and with the deal they signed with Russ, Russ isn't going anywhere, right? We could pretty much agree on that. So I'd imagine everything else is on the table. So Sean Payton is going to start to develop his team. If that means selling off parts now, as we said, you can you can want to trade all you want, but you got to find buyers for it as well. And if guys aren't performing, are there going to be teams out there that want to buy unless you can just steal them away? Yeah. So hey, listen, Car- Carolina seems like they might be desperate enough yeah, for some- to nope. take somebody's receiver. So if you're looking, they might be liking. They, they would. And so th- this is where Sean Payton is going to go, right? He's going to now say, okay, how am I going to mold my team? We're not going anywhere this year. You start to look at individual players. Players are playing for their jobs whether it's with Denver or if they get on the block and go somewhere else. Uh, and and that's, I think that's Sean Payton's job this year is to try and get Russell Wilson back a bit to what he was and not like last year. And, and going into the, into the game, we, we had said, while they're not great by any standard, you know, the defense is horrible. The offense is okay. Um, so, 
that's where I think they are with, with Sean Payton now is he knows the core of the team. How is he going to try and, and, and get rid of and then rebuild around that? Yeah, I, I think last night was interesting to that end, too, because it seemed like it was a flipped script. The defense all of a sudden showed up to the yeah. party in a way that we weren't ready for. And offensively, we see now what Sean Payton's been able to do. We said on the show yesterday, the idea that all of this is overblown as Russell Wilson's fault and that he is the lone uh, antagonist for this Broncos team is just not true. There's plenty of blame to go around. But last night you saw some of the limitations of how they're operating right now, right? To get Russ's confidence back, they've simplified the formula. Play action shots, get him on the move quick. And in some cases late in this game, if it ain't there right away, tuck it and run it. That's yeah. only going to get you so far with the limitations of this offensive personnel. I heard Ryan Fitzpatrick critical of it, and it's true. A guy of Russ's caliber you would expect, even though James Franklin would deny this, him to give his wide receivers some opportunities down the field at some points to go up there and get the football. So the Broncos, I think ultimately leading up to the trade deadline, we're going to see them sell off more parts. We're going to see them move on for more. But the Chiefs keep it rolling on Thursday night football. Coming up next, though, let's look at those Phillies punching their ticket back to the NLCS next on Gojo and Golik. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Guys, the Phillies vanquished the Braves in their division series matchup for the second consecutive year. Tons of guys on the team, part of this effort, which is basically what Trey Turner was saying after the game. I, I say it all the time. You, you, you want to be the guy that hits the homer, right? But maybe you're the guy that, that makes the defensive play, or maybe you're the guy that moves up a base on a ball in the dirt, or whatever it is. Maybe you're you know, a pitcher who gets out of a jam in, in the first, second inning, and everyone forgets about it. But you know, you played a big part. So I just think we have a really good team. We got a lot of a lot of good players, a lot of good people, and um, we take pride in everything we do. It's like I said, I always say it's not going to be perfect, but we know we can we can do better. We can move on, and 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 we'll overcome things. So, I just think as a team, as a unit, we're we're uh, in a good spot. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Nick Cassianos, all these guys contributing in this massive effort. I was hey, going to say, you want to talk about history, Nick Castellanos becoming the first player yep. in Major League Baseball history, not in NLCS, NLDS history, not in National League history, the first player in Major League Baseball history to go for two homers in back-to-back postseason games. Dad, Nick Castellanos has an indelible soul bond with deep left center drives that will never be broken. It's very cool that his kid has got that seat almost right behind the plate and has been traveling around with him until school had started and points at his son. It's a very, very cool scene. Real quick, I remember back years ago, it was, you know, the goggles, uh, Mike, your sister, Sydney wore for swimming, you know, yep. the smaller goggles. That used to be what was worn in the locker room. Now they got the big ski, the, the ski mask or ski goggles going on. What a change. Covers more face area. Blocks a little more. I get it, though. It's a lot easier. The swim goggles are tough to get on. They kind of yeah. hurt when they're warm and, right and there. And it can leak in there a little bit at times. It yeah, would be hysterical, though, comfy. to bring that back, to see dudes just celebrating with the tiny swim goggles. Tiny goggles. That would be yeah. comedy. Forget that. <laughs> I want to see them celebrate with the little ones that you put on top of your eyes at the tanning bed. Oh, oh God. You yeah. can't Let's get see. this smaller you and smaller. You can't see out of those, period. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You'll, you'll find a way. Let the vibes carry you right now because that seems like what Philly's doing here. Oh, We man. can talk about in this series and in Major League Baseball's postseason right now, 
all three 100-win teams not only eliminated in the Braves, Orioles, and Dodgers, but went 1-9 and nine in the postseason this year. The Braves got out-homered in this game 11-3 to three after leading Major League Baseball as a team this season with over 300. It was as carriage turning back into a pumpkin as we've ever seen for a baseball team, Dad, that quite frankly, once you saw the way that they responded to the Orlando Arcia locker room gate and the sanctity of the locker room and the reporter that let out the attaboy Harper phrase in there. Once you saw the way they were responding to that, it was like the series was already over. I had very little hope for them being able to pull this out in this game because it seemed like they had already decided that that moment had lost them the series. You know, you mentioned that, and we had talked about it, the top three teams, the hundred win teams, uh, Atlanta, Baltimore, and Dodgers all losing. It goes further. The top five records go to Tampa Bay, go to Milwaukee. Those are the and the other three were the top five records in baseball, and they're all gone. They're all gone right now. So really an amazing thing. And this one, so Phillies, what nine home runs in two games, six in the previous game, and and uh, yep. oh, oh yeah, and three in this one. Uh, Trey Turner hitting the other one. All the runs by, on home runs for the Phillies in this one. Well, boy, I tell you what, the Atlanta had their chances, right? Man, I mean, uh, the, in the third. Three walks, they had bases loaded, two out. Ronald Acuna Jr. hits a deep drive that you thought, if nothing else wasn't going over the wall, was going to drop, and they might get two, maybe three runs out of it. Excellent catch out in the outfield. Uh, who was it by Johan Rojas, I believe, um, makes the catch out there. And then in the ninth inning, first and third with nobody out. First and third with nobody out. They couldn't even get the guy on third in. Two weak pop-ups to not be able to advance a runner at all. And then a strikeout to end the game and end the series. So Atlanta did have their chances in two of the last three innings to get back in this one. Uh, but congrats to Philly with uh, uh, Fletcher Cox in attendance, Joel Embiid in attendance. Oh. I mean, that Fletcher Cox is, made his way down into yeah. the locker room for the postgame party after Listen, this, the sanctuary that is yeah. the locker room in the clubhouse. That town can get going, man. They 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 get going there, and uh, good for them because now they're they're the home team. You know, because the Diamondbacks were the sixth seed, and they're in the uh, in the NLCS against Philly. So Philadelphia is the home team in this one. So kudos to them for closing it out. And the top seeds, wow! I mean, just absolutely got smoked in these po- these playoffs. They did, and, and this series took on such a life of its own in a way that was we talked about fun for the rest of baseball. You saw in the post game celebration, I think it was Garrett Stubbs in the locker room who was wearing a Budweiser box as a hat, had overall stuff full of beers was the one in the locker room singing F the Bravos, F whoever we play next, and always the Mets. They were leaning into the idea that had been posed. It was even on the shirt already inside that locker room worn by someone with the attaboy Harper, and they weren't supposed to hear that, Dad, as this weird proxy war for what's supposed to be said and reported in locker rooms has been going on. I mean, I am so over this weird media war from people locally there who are like, oh, it's some national person who came in and let this out. The media was in the locker room. The media was in the locker room and something was said and a media member reported on what was said in the locker room. I understand the relationships are a little bit different locally. I under, you know, I, I appreciate what local reporting and what local reporters mean for team coverage. Absolutely. And I understand the dynamics different because you're there every day and you know all these guys, but it is not somebody's job to cover or erase what was said in a time where everyone knows it's an open locker room. That's just not how it works. Yeah, no, it's not how it works at all. And and, and if you don't understand that in today's world and today's locker rooms, I I don't know what I can do for you. I I don't know. we, we, We can't help you on that one. Now, what's interesting going forward, will there be help? Um, to division champs going forward. There have been eight division series with the new playoff format. Five of the eight have been won by teams that advanced from the wild card round. Two of the favorites were swept. Only one of the eight series went five games. Does there need to be a greater advantage for division champs that have earned a bye? I mean, uh, you know, that, that, that's going to be the discussion uh, when you when you dominate or win your division through 162 games, and then it's over in what seems like a blink of an eye. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some soul searching for Major League Baseball. Now, I will say, usually that happens when you have finals. You know, people always roast these bad finals combinations in the NBA and talk about how much Adam Silver and the league hate them. I don't know how much the league hates having a team like this Phillies team continuing to yeah. progress in the playoffs, yeah. even if it comes at the expense of a Braves team that was supposed to be one of the best in baseball that has so much promise coming off of another unbelievable regular season. So 
we'll see but it, i don't know you could argue with that i'll let people much smarter about baseball yeah. i like rocking into the postseason as a big dumb moron and getting to enjoy this um speaking of moron stuff and moron behavior from yesterday so congratulations to the phillies for moving on the city of brotherly love getting good and drunk last night in the locker room after that game um Guys, we saw controversy hit the internet yesterday, and this is going to be a thread throughout the show here that I want to ask anyone listening, at Gojo and Golik on Twitter, we need your worst date stories because yesterday we saw an attack on one of our nation's great institutions here. Dad, I don't know if you saw this because you don't live on TikTok the way I do because you're Mm. a normal, well-adjusted person. Yeah. The Cheesecake Factory came under attack yesterday. A woman posted TikTok shaming a man she was on a first date with for bringing her to the Cheesecake Factory, acting as if it was beneath her. I am here to tell you that nobody, nobody, not you listening, not you watching, not anyone who catches us on any of the number of ways you can consume this show is better than the Cheesecake Factory. The Cheesecake Factory's menu, which is expansive. The Cheesecake Factory menu is like going to a state college. It's so big, you could go there for four years and you won't even meet half the people that are at that college along the way because it is such a deep pool. Is always there for us in a time of need. Old, young, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. It's got your back, Dad. I will say this. Jesse disagrees with us. Yeah, this is something we found out about our teammate today. Uh No, uh, don't slander me. I... (laughs) said what I, did you say to us say, i Jesse? said i said that <laughs> for a first date i do not think that i i would i would not not get out of the car because who does that grow up yeah but I, there probably wouldn't be a second date because a first date you're supposed to bring a certain i said this to gojo je ne sais quoi to a first date and bringing you to the cheesecake factory is not bringing that vibe because you can find a local place with comparable prices, okay? Oh, we need we, we need to talk more about this. Ooh, At Gojo and Golik on this. Twitter, yep. is the Cheesecake Factory an acceptable first date spot? Back after this, Gojo and Golik. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans would feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It's time to turn our attention to the college game with Modelo. College football weekend preview brought to you by Modelo, the mark of a fighter. So, fellas, let's start with your fighting Irish taking on number 10 USC in rainy South Bend. Which is also a great place to take your uh, date on to the Cheesecake Factory in South Bend, <laughs> Indiana. Do we have a Cheesecake Factory in wow, South Bend, Indiana? It wow. feels like we should have a Cheesecake Factory in South Th- Bend. There isn't, Mike. I mean, for all the food options in South Bend, and there are so many and they keep building them, there is not a Cheesecake Factory. So maybe they're being food snobbish just like Jesse. Okay, you know what? All right, fine. I'm a food snob. There all right, you go. So right, you that's know what? Admitting is the first step. That's yeah. the first step. I'm a first food step. snob, and I think chain restaurants are generally not a good place to go. Generally okay, speaking. all right. Now, see, wow. All right, you, now, just, she it, just it dropped went, the it went grenade. From, I <clears> wouldn't <throat> want this on a first yeah. date because, and there's a conversation to be had about what the effort you put into choosing a first date location says about your overall intent with the relationship that we can certainly have. But now this is branched to all chain restaurants are bad. No, I didn't say they're bad. I didn't say they're bad. People are allowed to have preferences. I also like to support 
the local man, not oh, the man. You're supporting yeah. corporate greed when you yeah. eat at these places. When, when you say local man, you're not talking a local diner, though. You're talking the local high-end uh, dinner spot, aren't you? Deflect, it's deflect, deflect right now. Thing. Deflect, deflect. Yeah. What, what did you say, well, Genesee Qua? I thought you were saying Genesee Cream Ale. I, I wouldn't, didn't know what the hell was going <laughs> on with that. Genesee yeah. Qua, it's French. Senior. Yeah. Okay. What is Genesee right. cream ale? <laughs> Do I put oh. that on my joints? <laughs> oh my God. Oh uh, my we'll, God. We'll have a long talk. We'll have a yeah. long talk about. I will is... say. I will say as we get back to our picks. A couple of years ago, I started my year in the Texans, and sure enough, we went to lunch at Cheesecake Factory, and my drink of choice there, I had a few of them, was Modelo. So there we go. Oh, let's go. Uh -huh. It has a certain genie sequin to it sure uh, that we yeah, really exactly. enjoy. <laughs> uh, speaking of genie sequin, let's get yeah. to Notre Dame and USC <laughs> this weekend. Notre Dame, two and a half point favorites at home, which was surprising. When I brought yeah. that up to people, yeah. they were stunned that Notre Dame, who sits here right now at 21st in the country hosting top 10 USC, is actually a two and a half point favorite. I understand you get the three at home more often than not. USC won last year. Caleb Williams was really at the end game that game was out in southern cal so yeah. it's at the end of the year that was towards the end of him stamping his heisman trophy campaign last year dad the biggest factor going into this game right now seems to be the weather forecast yep. has it in like the low 50s for saturday night with an 80 percent chance of rain and while we had some fun with the usc staffers spraying the football down it really does, I think, force both teams into a place where USC certainly doesn't want to be as the much faster team on any track. And for Notre Dame, they probably need to be, given the way the last few weeks have gone, almost forcing their hand back into that run game that maybe didn't get leaned on as often as it should have this week. So how do you see this one? So, I mean, I, I think the spread might have something to do with the fact that took uh, – if USC blew out Arizona, I don't think the spread will be what it sure. is. They go three overtimes with Arizona and pull out that win. So I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, we know USC with Caleb Williams. I mean, his his movement last year against Notre Dame, escaping, you know, the pocket to make a play was what really, really made that game for him. Um, they, so they, they need to keep him under control, even though he's been playing better this year than last year. I, I think the weather is big. I think Notre Dame's going to have to control the ball, running the ball. Mitchell Evans, a tight end, has been big for them. I think he, he's going to help with the ball control. So which side is going to step up? Notre Dame offense controlling the ball against a very, very bad USC defense or that USC offense, which is a high-flying offense, and Notre Dame getting some stops there. It's, it's at Notre Dame. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. So just, just on almost that alone, I'm going to take from a game plan standpoint, I'll lean toward Notre Dame. Maybe this is more with my heart than my head because Notre Dame de definitely struggled against Louisville, even though you have to give Louisville credit. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Notre Dame in this one. I, I, I think this is as must win for Notre Dame as any game they've had on their schedule during the course of this season. I think the effort will reflect the sense of urgency there. I think this is going to get back to the running game. We heard Marcus Freeman and company talking. They were asked a lot about the O-line rotation from last week. Right. And they said that was injury-based based on practice availability. We're planning on sticking with one starting five during this game. And so I think that continuity, knowing what they've got in the backfield and seeing what you – it wasn't just that USC got moved around against Arizona. It was right. Arizona being able to bloody their nose up front yep. a bit. For some of that game so i'll pick notre dame in this one lincoln riley also said he's seen the movie rudy quote five thousand times so lincoln riley out here knowing ball understands exactly what he's <laughs> walking into in this game where usc just feels like they've been living on the edge for a little bit too yeah, long they this do. season they do and you wonder at some point i think a lot of people especially around the pac-12 when that's going to creep up and bite them speaking of the pac-12 dad let's get to oregon at washington i'm calling this game for learfield college football saturday night everyone can check out there or on the varsity app this is the one everyone's got circled this weekend. 8-7, yes. the first time in the history of this rivalry, 115 times they've met. This is the first time they do it, both as AP-ranked top 10 teams. Dad, I can't pick this one, but, man, I'm excited to watch the quarterbacks. Styles make fights, and Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, two of the best in the country that we get to watch square off. Yeah, 16 and two touchdowns interception for Penix, 15 and one for Bo Nix. As I mentioned yesterday, both have only been sacked three times. Oregon's defense has been playing extremely well. I did pick Washington at the beginning of the year to make the final four. So I think 
for I, I think this this game's too close for me to go the other way and say I'm going to go against them right now. This is when the Pac-12 starts knocking each other off. So one of these teams is going to get that first uh, conference loss. Washington, I mean, what what Penix is doing has those two thousand yard receivers back again. Man, you are so fortunate calling this game. <laughs> been, this is going to be an awesome one to watch. I know I'm taking the over. I think it was in the low 60s or something like that. I'll take the over on this one, and I'll I'll take I'll take Washington in this one. Uh, they're favored by what three? I'm going to take that. I'll go ahead and I'll give the three in this high scoring game. Yeah, it, it's I say styles make fights. You look in this game. Washington basically leads college football in every meaningful yep. offensive category so far this season. Bo Nix, however, leads <laughs> FBS football, completing 80.4% of his passes. It's amazing. 80.4%. And it's not like they are just a dink and dunk offense. This is a guy that'll turn it loose downfield. Troy Franklin's a great receiver. Bucky Irvin in the backfield is an awesome player. I think in the trenches, it's where it gets interesting, Dad. Oregon's been able to dominate up front on defense. Washington's got good players, but I think the middle of their defense, there is room to potentially run. Bo Nix is great getting him on the move against that defense as well. Washington on the other side, though plays positionless football. So for Brandon Dorless yeah. and this Oregon defensive front, it's going to be, can they bother this offensive line that's super athletic, but a little light in the middle? Their center runs about 275 pounds, but is a little hellraiser that I really enjoy watching. So going to be a fascinating game in this one. Get your popcorn ready for that. Dad, the last one, Miami at North Carolina. You think the Hurricanes can rebound this week? Man, I, that still just an unbelievable loss for them. They they snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory in that. North Carolina has won the last four here. Um, they're favored, what, by three and a half in this one. Drake May, 72% completion. He does have four interceptions and only eight touchdowns. You do have Tez Walker back now for his second game after being allowed to play after the, the nonsense that went on with the NCAA. He could certainly be a, a difference-making player here. Um, Tyler Van Dyke I did throw for a career high, I think, last year against yeah. North Carolina. And he's looked really good this he, year. He it's has. been the old Tyler Van Dyke this year. He has, but man, I mean, talking about just getting gutted from that loss and now turning around and coming back and facing a hell of a North Carolina team. I think I'm going to go with the home team here in North Carolina and give those points. I do lean North Carolina because especially of the quarterback and the problems he can get them out of on the other side for Miami though. And I understand their schedule hasn't been super daunting outside no. of the A&M when leading up to this, but one of the best rushing attacks in college football, one of the best rush defenses in college football, they play fast and physical on the defensive side of the football. We know the focus has been in the trenches for Mario Cristobal. I would probably take, I would probably take North Carolina to win Miami and the points would probably be the bet that I make though. I think the hurricanes are going to find a way to level set and galvanize. I think the response coming off last week is going to tell us a lot about the future yes. of that team. Yes. So that's as excited as I am to call my game. That's another one that might draw the interest of a ton of people to see how Miami responds after an embarrassing loss to Georgia tech. Coming up next, though, let's look ahead to one of the biggest matchups in the NFL. Josh Palmer, the Chargers wideout, joins us to talk about getting ready, coming off the bye for those Cowboys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Guys, Josh Palmer. Okay, so he had a career-high 72 receptions last season for the tar Chargers. Was the most targeted wide receiver on the Chargers. He's having a good year this year as well. He caught up with the guys earlier this week, talking about the Chargers season so far. You know, two wins coming off the bye, facing Dallas. Going to be an interesting one. Talked about the season ahead. Check it out. All right, excited to welcome into the show Chargers wide receiver Josh Palmer joining us now, fresh off the bye week, getting ready to head into a big one coming up on Monday night. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I feel great. Body feels great. Mind is great. Ready to get rolling. So the first thing I want to know, it's always interesting coming off bye weeks. I was on three different teams, and the coaches handled it differently. And 
you always pray for a lot of time off. How did how did Brandon handle the uh, the week off? How much time did he give you guys? Uh, just since it's been the same since he's been here, you know, we usually work that Monday. Um, you know, the coaches are coaches and wait staff is still here. If guys want to come in and get work, but we usually have the whole week off after Monday, after watching film. So for you personally, what's your bye week process like now? Still, you know, one of the younger guys on this team in the league, but you've been around here enough now. You know, Coach Staley. And for you, your role certainly gotten bigger, especially with the injury to Mike Williams. So did it change your process at all? Uh, no, not really. I didn't really go anywhere for the bye week just because I felt like I'm still trying to get in rhythm. So I didn't want to disturb that and, and go somewhere. So I just stayed home and took care of my body and hung out, hung out with, um, with good people, and, you know, just good vibes, really. So uh, take people down I- inside a little bit of what goes on in that wide receiver room. When you do lose a player, do how much or, or do roles shift? And, and if so, how has your role shifted? Yeah, roles, roles for sure shift. And, you know, because we're such a tight-knit group that when one guy goes down, you know, we pretty much all feel it. We all feel for, for Mike. And, uh, you know, he's going to come back stronger than ever. Um, but, yeah, roles role change, obviously. You know, guys have to, guys have to step up, every, everybody. Um, Keenan knows it. I know it. Um, Quentin knows it. Everybody. JG, hopefully we can get back soon. Um, but we have a lot of firepower, and we're just going to have to step it up. How do you view your role with the the rookies? You mentioned Quentin is one of them, but Darius, too, coming into that room here as one of the guys that's been around a little while now. What's your approach with those guys? Once they're able, once they're able to get everything rolling, they're going to be unstoppable. You know, they're still, they're still, they're still learning. They're still, they're still finding, finding what, finding what the things that they need to work on and to, to, to be in this league. And, you know, once they figure that out, it's going to be dangerous. What are some of the things like, what was it for you coming into the league? You look back on now that took you the longest to get up to speed into that way, or that was the adjustment for you, like you're talking about. Uh, for me, it was a lot of, a lot of it was just the feel of the game, like the feel of running routes um, in, in certain coverages, you know, the flow, you know, you come from college where everything is pretty much like, just go like that. Like, just go like this, just run a slant, just run a post. But, you know, there's, there's a little more flow in the league. And, you know, especially with, with my relationship with Keenan and him being, him being one of the big bros, uh, that was one of the things I was able to work on. And I could see the, see the game a lot slower. One of the things it's always talked about from college to pro, the biggest difference is speed. Is that true of the wide receiver position where you guys are normally fast anyway? Uh, yeah, but it's actually the opposite. It's slow down. Mm. Uh, that's when, where that's where that's that's where the speed is. It's slow slow down, as, especially as a receiver. You know, you go from college where you're just trying to run everything as fast as you can and just run, run, run. But out here, especially with Keenan teaching me, is slow down, bro. You're going way too fast. You don't have to be running that fast. Oh wow, that's huh. interesting. Interesting little little hurry up and wait mentality there, which is. <laughs> it, but you're right. It, it's that goes in hand in hand with the field that you talked about. You had that feel in a different offense before you guys got Kellen Moore over here this season. Uh, it's never a better or worse thing, but as far as different, is there something that stuck out to you as being different so far in Kellen Moore's version of this offense with you guys? We play, we play a lot wider. You know, last year we were a little bit more condensed here. We play a lot more wider and use, use the whole field. For you guys seeing Herb last week, he's dealing with the finger right now, you know, hasn't taken a bunch of snaps under center, but watching him gut that out at the end of the last game, what's that do for the rest of the team when you see your quarterback taking hits and keep going like that? It inspires us, just forces us to go harder. Um, you know, we see him stepping up and you know, it's not the first time that we've seen it. So it's like we kind of expect it now, but we definitely don't take it for granted. Uh, but it makes a lot of guys want to fight through things, fight through minor aches and pains. You know, your record is not where you want it to be. Every team wants to win every game. But how about you personally, where you are this season? How do you feel this season is going so far for you? Uh, I don't think I've peaked yet. Um, so I'm just climbing that ladder. Um, and I don't know when I'm going to peak, but I know it's coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> One of the other things I think people think of with your guys' team all the time is the fourth down aggressiveness. That's really been a story since Brandon showed up there. For you and the rest of your team, what's your mentality around that? Do you like that aggressiveness? Do you like going for it in those situations? For sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in our offense and our defense. Um, you know, sometimes people always have something to say. You know, if we if we don't get it, a uh, bad decision. If we get it, it was like, oh, that was a great call because this, that's not. So you know, you can't please everybody in this world, and you know, everybody, everybody under under this building knows what's going on.
Uh, it's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks yeah. around the country. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about them. <laughs> no. As far as looking forward to this game Monday against the Cowboys, what challenges did this Cowboys defense bring to you? Well, the, the D line is very aggressive and very strong. Um, you know, the secondary is, is, is pretty good. They have a pretty good overall defense. It's, uh, you know, they're blowing out teams you know, early in the season. So, you know, I think in the receiver room, it's the only room I can really speak for is that we just have to do our job. You know, I tell the guys before every game that, you know, if we don't go, we don't go. Like this, if the receiver room, you know, we try to put the, put the game on our backs and, you know, we feel like if we play well, then it'll elevate everybody. And if we're playing poorly, then it'll show on the record. So, you know, we take that personally. We take our room very personally. And we have a lot of pride in our room. It shows up. You guys have consistently been one of the more impressive receiving rooms to watch in pro football. Everybody recognizes this. Josh, a little off the beaten path here. I had no idea you were Canadian. What do you miss most about Canada? Uh, just my family and friends <laughs> and, and the food. I like Jamaican food. Oh, okay. Interesting. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't know what specific. I think most people think like poutine or something when they think of Canada. So I wasn't sure what exactly. Tina's is fire, but I'm changing my diet. So even if it was here, I would I would have to sacrifice. Wow! It. Oh, All right, really? that's a big step. So I guess I can't ask you about Hortons then, huh? Because that's where I'd be going. Uh, Tim Hortons, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tim Hortons good if you're a big coffee drinker. Yeah, Did you, oh, uh, I'm a big donut eater too. Yeah, that's, that's too. <laughs> that too. Did you grow up watching the CFL up there? Was that like something? Was that kind of the initial interest in football? Did you watch football down here in the states? How'd that go? No, I didn't. I I didn't watch much football. Or sports, really. I mean, I watched basketball a little bit, but I never really watched sports. I thought it was boring. Um, it still is. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to play basketball, and I played football growing up, but I stopped playing for a while to play basketball. Then I picked it back up my freshman year in Canada, and then after two years, I transferred to Florida and was completely serious about it. So you so, said you said you found sports boring growing up. What would you have rather been doing? Like we just saw everyone was making a big deal. I think it was A.J. Dillon was playing his farming game, streaming online. What what would you rather have been doing as a kid than playing sports at that time? No, no, no. I thought watching sports was boring. Oh, okay, okay. Playing sports, good. Watching sports, yeah, bad. Playing, playing was fun. Watching on TV was – I'd rather be doing something else. Are, are you a gamer? Are you – I mean, that seems to be the thing now. You do that? I don't game a lot. I read a lot. Oh, wow. There you go. Okay. Interesting. So do you and Justin Herbert trade notes on that? That feels like right up his alley, too. Reading? Uh, yeah, I have a book for him. Actually, I'm, I've been uh, trying to give him – well, I just haven't been bringing the book in, but I have, a, I have a book I need to give him. What's the book that Josh Palmer gives to Justin Herbert? Uh, it's called The Way of the Superior Man. All right. Oh, wow. Okay. Not going to lie. Don't know that book. I, I, on the other side of that, Josh, am not a big book reader. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to get going on that. Still plenty of time to learn. All right, Josh, we'll leave you on this one for you. And I don't know if it's coming into the season, you set goals or anything like that. You mentioned you haven't peaked, but is there a goal for you personally over the course of the season that you're efforting towards right now? Super Bowl. There we go. Uh, I have a, yeah, I have a lot, I have a lot of individual goals that you know are pretty personal to me, so I probably won't share those. But you know, you'll know if I hit them at the end of the season. I'll talk about <laughs> it. And then, then, then I'll share it. Uh, that 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 is fair enough. I, I look forward yeah. to seeing you down on the field on uh, on Monday down at SoFi. Yeah, looking forward to it, Josh. Thanks so much. Good luck, man. Stay healthy and best of luck the rest of the season towards that goal of the Super Bowl and of the other goals that you put in the time capsule for the end of the year. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> 